You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Stephanie Evergreen, and she's a recognized speaker, designer, and researcher. She's also a PhD, so she technically is Dr. Stephanie Evergreen. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk a little bit about her background in that. She's also an author, so she's written two books, Effective Data Visualization and Presenting Data Effectively. And I'm excited to the, for this because I think that so much of uh, business in general, but certainly service-based businesses, when we're communicating with people, communicating with staff, with clients, with prospects, is about how do we visually represent the ideas and the data we're presenting. So I'm excited about this. I think we're going to learn a lot, uh, and I'm, it's going to be a, a fun conversation, a topic that I love. So with that, Stephanie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me here. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your background first, just kind of give, a, give everyone mm-hmm. a sense of how you got into this space of data visualization, um, what was the professional background, and then we'll talk a little bit about the work you're doing. Sure. So I started out at the university as a data nerd. Uh, I was doing <laughs> research projects full-time with people. We were running lots of surveys, you know, just like being really good at collecting data, analyzing data. Um, and then we would write really, really boring reports. I mean, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I was bored writing it and I was the one with the most vested interest, <laughs> exactly. right? So I just knew like, this is going to suck. So, yeah. um, so I started, uh, playing around, like I, I started like making my pie charts 3d, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, I'm going to get this really jazzy and spice it up. And, and then, um, I, I thought I was having more fun, but I was really only making things worse. Yeah. So Anyway, I came, it came time for me to have to do a dissertation and I didn't know what I was going to study. So I went to a conference and this is probably what a lot of people do when they're going to a conference. You look at the program ahead of time and you circle all these (laughs) interesting sessions. Like I was like, oh, this is where I'm going to find my passion. And I would go to these sessions and I was so incredibly bored. Like I just couldn't even force myself like with toothpicks in my eyeballs. (laughs) Three cups of coffee. (laughs) Right. And I realized it's because of the way people present this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all these bullet points and no one can pay attention. Even when you want to, you can't pay attention to all these bullet points. So I decided that was going to be my dissertation topic, like like how we present this stuff. And that's when you get this opportunity to become like the smartest person in the room on a topic. So anyway, I really fell in love with it then and started talking about those ideas, the stuff I was finding in the research and everything took off from there. Yeah. So, so you brought up, I think the, the phrase that everyone loves to use at the bullet point, the, the infamous yeah. presentation bullet point. Yes. So I guess what, when we think about, I guess let's kind of put a, a scope around this or, or figure out what we're talking about. Is this, I'm standing in front of a group with a, a projecting, you know, big projection and, you know, this is what is on that screen or where do you kind of 
what is the area that you focus on? Are you the area that you think that we really need to think about when we talk about visualization of data and visualization of these ideas? It's all of the above. I think it matters when we're in big presentation rooms, when we're in small presentation rooms, just having a meeting with people. It's really, it's so funny to me that if we're having a meeting with like three people, why we got to have slides? Like why even bother? Just, just talk, just talk to people. Or draw it. I love, I love it when people are good at, they can just take a blank whiteboard and they say, okay, here's what I'm talking about. And they can actually start Mm -hmm. drawing the things they're talking about. That's powerful for me. Yeah, yeah totally. And it, and it matters. Like, I mean, we see the same principles apply if it's a newspaper article or a long report or something you're reading on your phone. You know, the same yeah. good best practices apply everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some of the best practices and then we can kind of talk about the different, you know, when, when they manifest themselves in different contexts and, you mm-hmm. know, how they get adjusted and stuff. But what do you think are or, or what do you see as being the important things we need to keep in mind? when we're engaged, when we're trying to figure out how to represent these things or visualize these things? Sure. You know, it's interesting to me because I got here because of my interest in the visual. But what I have found in all of my work is that everything hinges on our message. So it's really about yeah. the the words that we use and, and the visuals follow whatever the words are that we decide are important. And so I always make people start with your point. Like, what, what is your point? <laughs> what are you what trying are you to actually, say? <laughs> yeah. And just, just say it. Just say your point, yeah. like in a way that your grandma would understand yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think that's ridiculously hard for people to do sometimes yeah. because the more you know about something – the harder it is to say it in a plain language kind of way. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. we wrap ourselves up in like all these internal jargon and acronyms and stuff like that. And we kind of bury the lead. Did, um, so is this, I mean, I guess this is sort of the fundamental problem at some level is that we're often using visualization to try to avoid the fact that we haven't quite figured out what we're trying to say. <laughs> yes, this happens a lot. Yeah. And actually, that's the hard work, right? When yeah. I when I talk about this with people, they're like, oh, so we actually have to spend more time understanding our data. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you're employed, is to like yeah. understand your yeah. data and yeah. tell other people the insights that you have discovered in it. So yeah, it is. It's hard work. But that's really why we have the job, is to do that hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of rule rule number one is really make sure you understand your data and yes. figure out what is it you really want to say? What are what are your insights? I think it's another one, too, is that I guess how much do you feel that people end up sort of presenting, just re- sort of representing raw data versus mm-hmm. actually doing some kind of analysis and takeaway saying, OK, well, so here's the trend and here are the three correlations. But OK, what does that all mean? Like, yes. is that I certainly yeah. see that. So I'm curious in, in your research if you've if you've seen that being a problem. Definitely so, where we're just like going to show the data. Yeah. And I think that whole motivation to just show the data comes from a couple different things. First of all, that's how you're taught in academia. You're taught you need to just show the data and that your audience is going to look at it and like analyze it in their heads and come up with their own insights. And that if you tell them the insights, you're somehow biasing them, you know? So, but it's ridiculous to think that in the real world when you're talking to your CEO, she's going to want to study your spreadsheet that you pasted onto your slide and somehow like figure out the point. That's not happening. Well, in fact, it's almost that's, I mean, what, one of the reasons you have, you know, sort of CEOs surround themselves with people who are incredibly smart in these different areas is to actually do the, <laughs> do the yeah, analysis. Like I, I could have done the, I, I could have looked at the data. Like I need your insight to actually come up with a conclusion on what does this mean? Exactly. And I yeah. think the other piece of it too is a little tiny bit of imposter syndrome. Yeah. 
Like if we don't show people how smart we are, all the analysis that we ran and all the correlations and stuff that they won't believe us. Yeah. And I think that we have to remind ourselves that that's why we got the job in the first place is because they already believe that we're smart. Like we have passed that test. Now we can just stop trying to prove ourselves and just do our jobs well and like yeah. tell people what we know. Is there one, I'm just curious on that one, and, and this may be a little off topic for you, but I think you mentioned this kind of the imposter syndrome. But I think the other one is, I certainly see a lot is when presenting an idea or presenting a, a prediction or anything that's kind of future-based or risk-based is there's often this feeling that I have to say, all right, well, it's 32, as opposed to saying, well, look, you know, best case scenario or most likely scenario is 32, but you know, based on the uncertainty here, we could be anywhere from 28 to 36, you know, uh-huh, and, and, uh-huh. and this is my kind of confidence interval. I, I do exercises with folks where we do this confidence interval. And, mm-hmm. and I always say, look, any, any future or predictive piece of uh, a statement or data needs to come with this second part of it, which is what, how confident am I of that? And I think a lot of times people get caught up in, well, we've got to show all the data because I don't want to, I don't want to have that sort of more complicated discussion of what are the ranges and what are the possibility? And, and we have uncertainty, but let's quantify mm-hmm. the uncertainty so we can have a meaningful discussion of our planning around it. I think that's mm-hmm. that's one that comes up a lot for me. I don't know if you see that. In- Absolutely. Yeah. And the more academic, the smarter the people are that I work with, the more they feel like they've got to have all these error bars and confidence intervals and stuff. But we have research that shows when we present that sort of data to the public, who's not that, not that data yeah. savvy, they just feel stupid because they don't know how to interpret it. And making your boss feel stupid is not going to get you a promotion, right? Uh, so exactly. I think it's, I always say it's okay to talk about that stuff if you can say it in a plain language if you can yeah. say something like this is the future we can't be precise but we feel like we're going to be somewhere in this range you're going to be fine yeah. as, as long as you can word it like that i think it's going to be okay interesting so let's talk about the actual what we put when we create visuals what do we think about when we create visuals what do we what do we want to do what do we not want to do what have you seen that's that are good sort of good best practices and strategies for that Yeah. So let me tell you the story. So I was in Orlando doing a workshop with the Fortune 500. They had gathered their like rising leadership, the Mm -hmm. management stars. High high potential, high potential team. (laughs) Yes. They were gathered in this uh, conference center for like a week long training. And we were just like one day of it. So I go in to set up and the COO is already there in the room. I thought I was in the wrong place because they had started like 7 a.m. with their with their workshopping. And the COO was there. So I got to witness this really incredible conversation where he was sort of like setting the stage for the day for the workshop that we were about to do. And he said, what I want to see from you in our decision-making meetings and our weekly operational review meetings, I want to see your slide that says your claim, like your insight, whatever, and then the visual evidence that supports that claim. And I was like, that's gold right there. That is what every boss wants to see every time we're presenting something. Even if it's just like a figure that's in a newspaper column that someone's reading on the Wall Street Journal, what they want to see is the insight and the visual evidence that supports that insight. It's such a simple formula, but we feel like we've got to wrap it all up in a bunch of bullet points that are hard to read and all kinds of extra stuff that's unnecessary when really the visual needs to stand on its own. So Mm -hmm. we need to have like a a full sentence at the top there that frames the interpretation and then the evidence that supports it. Yeah. And what's your thought in terms of, I mean, I, I, I certainly struggle with this and I see a lot of folks struggle with this. Is this, well, is this a tool that I'm using to present? Is this, is this a, a, mm. a, a tool I'm using to present or is this a standalone piece that's going to get emailed around and, and mm-hmm. you know, do we create two different versions? You know, one where mm-hmm. it's more just visual and I'm talking through the points and another one where we put the points on the slide and somehow or in the mm-hmm. notes or something. What mm-hmm. like what's your should there be one 
thing that everyone's using? Do you split it if you're presenting it versus if it's standalone? What's your strategy? Well, I, yeah, I think there are a couple of different solutions to this, yeah. but I see this this happen so often where we're trying to get like a PowerPoint to do double duty. Yeah. It's supposed to be this read, al- read along that happens before or more likely after. Um, and it's supposed to be the presentation that we show in the room on a slide or on a screen that's like 40 feet big, right? Yeah. And everybody loses when that's the case because in the presentation room, <laughs> they're, they're reading. And when we write on slides, it's so weird. We collectively have adopted this very weird weird bullet point language where like, you know, when you're writing for a bullet point, it's never a full sentence. Yeah. It's not user friendly. It's so you drop it's a out phrase, Jaron yeah, phrase like or a, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no one can make sense of that later. Yeah. Right. So when they're reading it before or after they can't make sense of it. Plus it's like, in front of their face font size like 20 it's ridiculously uncomfortable for reading yeah. later and then when it's on the slide it's too small and it's like they're reading while you're presenting it's, yeah. so it's a lose-lose situation when yeah. you do that right i call it i call so, that the uh, the futon problem it's a semi-comfortable bed and a semi-comfortable couch <laughs> but it really doesn't work very well for either so i love that good i want to quote you on that no, later that's fine. Take awesome. it. so i encourage people to let slides be slides that's what they're built for they're built to be our visual support yeah and that what people really want later is a more helpful, condensed, concise handout. And so how do you do the handout? What do you do? Is it the slide with copy? Do you create new slides? What do you, what do I you have suggest? Like, I mean, I'm, I make mine in PowerPoint, honestly, yeah. because it's just I know how to use it really yeah. well. But I'll just put in my main points as full sentences. It. And it's just like, a, you know, narrative on a one pager, like one page front and back at most. That's what is going to be helpful for people later. It's more readable. It's more friendly. Another strategy that I have used, I mean, sometimes people are just like, no, they're going to demand the slides. So I'll encourage people to use the notes, but yeah, okay. it's not. But, but what you type down there can't be the notes for you as the presenter. It needs to be like the actual wording you want your audience to read. Yeah. And then we can go in and format the notes pages. Like all of that stuff can be laid out and, and designed beautifully yeah. so that it's engaging. And then it looks like a nice, sexy handout in addition to being awesome slides. Yeah. The other one I do now, um, I started doing more this last year, is I'll I'll do a quick screen video of of me giving the PowerPoint or me going walk talking through the slides that I'll include as well. So I like that. even if they, you know, even if I have to kind of send it out, they also have me kind of walking through it. Now I don't have the interaction with them as much, but, mm-hmm. and I can usually go through, I mean, I can, you know, say an hour presentation that I'm going to do in person. I can walk through uh, in a screen video in 10 minutes, more or less. I mean, it's, I, it's sort of speeded up and I hit the main points, but at least they have something, some, some, me talking over the slides rather than just mm-hmm. them trying to just figure out, well, what would he be saying here at this point? Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah. So talk to me about the slides themselves. When we're thinking about kind of what we actually put on a slide and how, like, uh, are, are there kind of do's and don'ts in terms of actually visualizing these things? And I know this is tough in, a, in an audio-only podcast <laughs> to talk about what you see on the screen. But give us some rules or give us some ideas, things to think about as we're actually constructing some of these slides. Yeah, so I think probably the first universal rule is no 3D. It's hard to have many universal rules because, you know, yeah. you can always imagine a situation where something would be applicable. But I think no 3D is pretty much the one that will apply everywhere. Yeah. Because people have a hard time interpreting it in the first place. Like we have the research that shows people's brains just can't process volume very well. We can't compare volume. Um, But in addition to that, like it's actually, it distorts the data. If you make a 3D graph in like, let's say Microsoft Excel, it'll look like 
the data is a different quantity than it actually is. Like it, it almost is an unethical way of, of showing your data. So no 3d ever. Mm -hmm. Um, another good rule to keep in mind is one point per slide, one point at a time, because people get overloaded really quickly. Our brains really can't process a whole lot of working pieces at one time. So we got to break it down for people and, and like kind of spoon feed our information to them one bit at a time. And that freaks people out because they're like, well, then I'm going to have a hundred slides. And I'm like, so what? No yeah. one's going to care if you have a lot of sides. The only yeah. time people care that you have a lot of sides if, is if they're all boring bullet points. <laughs> then they're like, then they look at the slide number at the bottom and they're like, oh my God, we're on 10 out of 100. This is going to be painful. But if they're gorgeous and they're engaging and you're walking people through everything, then they don't really care how many there are. Yeah. It's not extra time talking. It's just more clicking to yeah. flip your slide to the next one. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and give me, and, and we may, this, this may be a little sort of digging into the, uh, a little too much detail or, or, or sort of more detail, but uh, give me a sense of like these, these build slides, animations, things like that. Like I see people struggle with this. Well, I, I both see people struggle and then I see people fail miserably <laughs> with that square, yeah. you know, yeah. things flying around the screen and, you know, like 15 slides building up, like, you know, in pieces, adding each step, you know, what's your yeah. kind of rule of thumb or where do you guide people on the whole animation build stuff like that? Well, I do think that I do think that animation can help us achieve the one point at a time philosophy because it'll help us bring in one piece as we're ready to talk about it. And I like that strategy because it gives us some control over the conversation in the room. The worst thing to happen in a meeting is when like you're not ready to talk about that thing yet, but people are already jumping there and asking about it because yeah, they can see, they see it. it. It's up on the, the it's up on the yeah, screen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you need to like get them there first, but they're not even hearing you and you lose control, right? So so it's best if we can just not show them those things until we're ready and yeah. have some control. So using animation or builds can really be helpful that way. But the, I tell people the only animation you're allowed to use is the one called up here. Because <laughs> it just shows No it. swipe it in it. and swipe nope. uh, <laughs> None of that. Shade, shade, blinds, uh, reveal and stuff. Yeah, uh, no, okay. it's not. Have you up seen here. Prezi? Have you seen that software called oh, Prezi? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, get, I get motion sickness. That. I don't know that one. I'm just like, whoa, make it stop. <laughs> I know. And people loved it so much because it was like, wow, it was so cool. I remember being in a, a presentation for my neighborhood and the presenter was using Prezi and the, I, I could see the audience like, whoa, what? that's really cool. But no one was listening to anything that he said. Yeah, no exactly. one remembers what that presentation exactly. was about. All they remember was that it was like zooming in and zooming out. And then worst case, like for you, it causes motion sickness. Yeah. So we, don't, we don't want anything that's going to just distract from us being yeah. the center of the, in the spotlight, yeah. right? So no unnecessary distractions like that. Yeah. So let's talk about the sort of some of these things that I think come up a lot in presentations in terms of like tables and charts and things like that. How much, I mean, I've, I think I've always, I've seen, I've seen it go either way that there's so much sort of details and labels and, you know, fine information on the screen that I get lost in trying to read, well, was this 6.83652 million or was it, you know, there's, like there's, there's the, the details versus sometimes it's like, there's no labels and it's just uh, an X, Y axis and a line going to the upper right, you know, and they're kind of making a point. I'm like, uh, okay, it would have been nice to get a little bit of, a little bit more context about what this is. Mm -hmm. Where do you see kind of the balance between these two issues? That's such a good question because I do see people who get excited about minimalist slides, minimalist design, and they just go too far in one direction. And it's hard to have a clear answer, but I always say this is dependent on your audience okay. and what your audience needs to see, like how much precision 
does this group need to see in order to make the decisions that are on the table yeah. or to take the actions that I'm asking them to take? How many decimal places do they really need yeah. to see? How precise does this really need to get? I usually say one, one decimal point at most, two seems unnecessary, yeah. but if you have none, um, which I see that happens a lot when we're communicating to the public, we'll just round. Yeah. Um, people think it's not precise. People yeah. think you're rounding and it's not accurate. So one decimal point tends to communicate this is accurate. Yeah. You don't really need to go further. But yeah, in terms of all the rest of the clutter that's on there, uh, it's always about what does my audience need to see in order to do the thing I need them to do. And yeah. it, that's it's going to vary. You know, the public needs one thing. Your CEO needs something different. Your managers need something different. Yeah. Well, and I think just kind of go back to your earlier point as well. It depends of what you're trying to say. I mean, if you're if the point of the slide for you is making a specific comparison between where we were in 2016 and where we are in 2018, and you're talking about a percentage or, see, or you're making some point about the data, having a little more accuracy around that so you can actually see it. And it's not just one and 10, you know, but it's 1.7 yes. and 10.2. Like you, you begin to create some focus and some, some awareness of those numbers that I can actually start looking at it. Let me tell you, I just saw yeah. an example like this where someone showed me this slide that they said they were having trouble getting the, getting get communicated. The title of the slide was something super generic, like let's just say sales over time. Mm -hmm. So not insightful at all. Yep. And they had a bar graph that showed a sales in each quarter or something. And each bar graph had a label on it. It was like 17, 18, 16.8, 16. And I was showing them ways to just generally clean it up and then they told me that their point was sales had remained pretty flat and I was like, dude, if that's your point, you need to stop putting the numbers on <laughs> all these bars because people are going to growing attention. Right yeah. Yeah. People are focusing right in on how can we drop so from 16.8 to 16 when really that's an insignificant difference. So yeah. I was like, don't put the labels on there because people are going to get distracted. Right. So yeah. it really all comes back to what is your point? Yeah. What about the sort of the um, sort of derivative calculations around some of this stuff? So if you have like, you know, 16.8, 16, 15.2, like you're, you have this data, but but what you're really trying to show is the percent change between periods, you know, moving mm -hmm. to a percent change chart. I mean, I, where, I guess, how do you advise or where do you sort of see this kind of ability to kind of analyze the data or ability to kind of come up with second order kind of results from the data and presenting that versus mm -hmm. raw data? Like, where do you do you suggest people do that? Do you not? Is it situational? Well, it can be situational for sure, but I think that you can show both. I think people do want to see both. What we find is that if you want people to see the change and you just show them the change, they're going to be like, yeah, but what were the raw numbers? And if you show them the raw numbers, they're going to be like, okay, but how much change actually happened there, right? So yeah. people need to probably see both. So I like to just... Tell it as the story, right? Yeah. So slide one, here are the actual numbers where we were before where we are now. And then your title will end with an ellipsis, like dot, 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 as if to say there is more to the story. Yeah. And then the second slide that shows just the percent change starts with the ellipses, right? So that you're telling people these things hang together. Yeah. Yeah. And they're two pieces of the same picture. Yeah. I've seen some good ones too, where they either do a nice build, a nice layer, or, you know, two parts of the chart where you kind of, you know, the top part of the chart is, okay, let's get the raw data. You kind of mm -hmm. present the raw data and then you say, okay, and if you do the percentage analysis, because then you can kind of line it up and you're kind of, you, mm -hmm. you're creating some visual connection between things, but you know, they're usually fairly well designed. <laughs> if yeah. Some thought has been put into it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think that connection being able to show almost visually show the analysis saying, okay, here's the raw data. Here's the first level. Here's the second level. Here are the areas that we that we really 
want to draw your attention to because we have some things to say about it. You know, that kind of yeah. process can be and this is Yeah, this is where the formatting, and it feels like it's tiny little stuff, but the formatting of our visuals matters so much because when you're going to put a lot of detail on a slide like yeah. that, little things like tick marks matter. Yeah. Little things like the borders around your graph matter. We've got to be so careful to have visuals that are really clean, like going well, well toward that minimalist design yeah. philosophy so that yeah. people don't get distracted by all the unnecessary noise and they're just looking at the data. And then adding in little tricks like adding in stuff like an action color on the parts you want people to focus on. That way their brains are not getting overwhelmed by everything that's up there, but you can just hone people right in on the two things that you want them to pay attention yeah. to. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about color because you mentioned it. <laughs> what, so what's I, your, I mean, I've seen lots of these things that look like uh, blinking Christmas trees. Um, what, <laughs> I mean, what, what's your kind of take, strategy, suggestion on when it comes to kind of colors and palettes and, and stuff, mm -hmm. what do you, are you a white on black, black on white? Is it, are you grayscales with, uh, you know, pops of highlights? What's your strategy? Well, I definitely think the research supports using gray plus some kind of action color. Yeah. So gray should be there to de-emphasize some stuff because we tend to see that as anything in gray is sort of secondary, yeah. you know, Background, yeah. and then, yeah. And then an action color will pop out certain things and our brain will go to those parts because we tune into color, uh, just naturally, our brains just go to that. Yeah. So we use gray to kind of tamp down some of the noise. We use an action color to highlight parts that really matter. And then your action color is probably going to be your organizational branding color. Yeah. You know, yeah, just stay um, on, on, on brand or use the benefit stay of the on brand. brand. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you'll, you know, most organizations will have a style guide that maybe gives you a palette so you have choices of colors and if that's the case I like to play inside that somewhat because people have associations with colors yeah you know and so we can use that to our advantage so that when we're trying to tell people everything's fine we'll use like blues that are that say things like calm and when we're trying to get people to pay attention we can use things like reds or oranges to say this is an urgent yeah. issue, yeah. right? So the actual color we choose can be a part of the overall storytelling effect. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some specific scenarios or, or cases that, uh, you know, a lot of business folks get into. So, I mean, the one that I've, I'm always kind of curious about is the pitch. You know, I'm, I'm raising money and things like that. And that's always a, uh, a challenge because it's that I don't know how long I'm going to have. They might cut me off. Like I need to have some flexibility and then this kind of leave behind. So how, what strategies would you recommend? And the other thing about it is it's very future thinking. So you're, I'm presenting mm -hmm. lots of, well, you know, in the next five years, we could, you know, be at this level, things like that. Any thoughts or, or strategies for that situation where you've got a CEO or an executive pitching to investors and dealing with this kind of, what do I put on slides? How do I tell the story? Sure. So two good tips come to mind. First of all, I didn't even invent this one. It came from Seth Godin, who does some venture capitalism. Yeah. He has this like, method of developing slides that he calls atomic development. Ooh, okay. And yeah, and yeah. he's he means that you break your talk down into its most atomic particles and you present one at a time, which is what we were talking about earlier. Yeah, one yeah. point per slide, right? So we already know that the whole idea of one point per slide is a well-received idea in the pitch venture capitalism community. Mm -hmm. But I think the other piece of it that would help a lot is telling people your bottom line right up front. Oh, I like this. Yeah. And I think what we tend to do is feel like we've got to tell a story. And in a story, the punchline doesn't come till the end. The moral of the story doesn't come till the end. And I, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of been a misnomer. It's led us astray because what people really want to know, especially in these like high pressure yeah. venture capitalism meetings yeah. is give me your bottom line. 
What's, yeah. what's the point here? Yeah. What's the idea? Tell them right up front. And then, so you start with the big picture and kind of funnel down into those details. Yeah. And so, because hopefully they're still interested, like your bottom line draws them in. They're like, mm -hmm. cool, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. And you'll finally get to that nitty gritty detail of yeah. like, here are the, how the numbers project. So that starts yeah. with their interest. And then if, they, or if they're not interested, you save yourself so much time. And so they save themselves so much time if yeah. the bottom line doesn't even hook them. Yeah. Right. So no, I think it's about getting your bottom line clear, saying it right up front and making it really sexy. Yeah. 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 Other cases that you see a lot in business, um, you know, s situations that executives get in and how they can kind of strategies they can use to kind of deal with those situations? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the whole, the whole idea of telling people your bottom line right up front is pure gold because yeah. it works everywhere. I was at a big pharmaceutical company doing a day long workshop with them. And on the lunch break, the one hour lunch, the senior vice president had to run to a meeting, right? They're doing like their weekly ops review meeting. And he comes back from that one hour meeting and he was like, Stephanie, you are not even going to believe this. But we just spent half the meeting going, what are we even looking at on this slide? Like, what is this even telling us? And if you think about it, like, that uh, is such a waste of time yeah. and money. He actually said that they had to delay the important business decisions that they were there to make. Hey. Because they couldn't even get the information sorted out to inform the decision. So, like, that decision is going to be delayed by months because they miss the opportunity in that meeting, which means they don't get, take things to market yeah. as quickly as they need to, or they're continuing on developing things that they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah. Either way, it's like such a disaster. Yeah. And it's all because we clutter up the slide with bullets that don't make sense with insider jargon that don't tell a point that don't show the evidence. Well, and yeah, and we haven't figured out what we're actually trying to say, <laughs> or in this case, figure yeah. out what, what we need to be talking about so then we can actually present, you know, have, have a presentation that. Yes. And I feel like a lot of folks are in a tough situation because you probably have like really, really smart engineers doing the research and development on these projects. And they're probably reporting up to their boss who has to somehow translate that stuff to the CEO without using yeah. insider R&D language. And God help them. They're probably also using visuals that were just like produced from some engineering oh, yeah. software that they're copy pasting onto the slide that are just like, you know, Atari 1982 aesthetic, right? Who can even, <laughs> who can even make sense of that? So yeah, exactly. I feel for him. It's tough. Exactly. So tell me about the book. So um, effective data visualization and presenting data effectively. What can we learn in those? Yeah, good. So effective data visualization is about choosing the right chart type. Okay. We have so many chart choices out there these days and guiding people through how to make the right decision, how to pick the graph type that's going to tell your story and then how to make it. And I'm talking about how to make that graph in Excel or PowerPoint because Excel is just baked into PowerPoint, but how yeah. to just use the tools you've already got to do stuff that's stellar. And I love it because Excel is, I don't know if it's because Microsoft is so smart or it's because they haven't quite figured this out yet, but you can really hack it. You can make it do things it does yeah. not naturally do. And I love that flexibility. So, and it's really just a matter of showing people what the buttons are. It's yeah. such a small thing here, just push this button. But the outcome that you get yeah. is like, oh my God, people actually understand what I'm talking about here. So that book guides people through how to pick the right chart and how to make it. Great. The, the other book, Presenting Data Effectively, is more about big picture 
picture reporting slides, dashboards, reports, how all of that stuff needs to come together to look well and to get your information across. And again, how to actually make it, how to push the buttons that do it. And both books are totally based in the research. This is what happens when you get a PhD, you're forever a data nerd. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm still I'm still reading research articles like for fun, you yeah. know. So I like to be able to share that stuff back out because when you know, I mean, research is always developing. Right? It's a yeah. field that's always going to be changing. But if you can at least say this is based in some science instead yeah. of just like my personal preference, yeah. I think we're all going to be better off. Yeah. Great. If people want to find out more about you and about the books, what's the best place to get that information? My website's going to be the best place to get that information. It's stephanieevergreen.com. I've got information about both books on there. We have a cute little book trailer video so people can find out what's inside. Awesome. I will make sure that the link to that is in the show notes. Stephanie, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time. Likewise. Thanks for having me here. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.